Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. In our series through the Gospel of Matthew entitled The Good News of God's Kingdom, we're exploring the ways that we, as disciples of Jesus, partner with God for the real, everyday advancing of His kingdom. We're at that time in our journey of of parenting our nine-year-old boy where we're having to have those conversations about puberty and relationships and sex. Uh, we we kind of starting on and navigating our way along along that road, and I know some of you who've already done that with your sons and daughters. You know how challenging that can be at times. Puberty came up at school a couple of weeks ago with Caden, and I had the chance to sit with him after school that night as I was kissing him goodnight for bed, and we were chatting through what what it meant, the body changes, and all the, all the transformation that happens, the emotions. Um, Caden's takeaway point from the puberty talk was his intention to wear deodorant and lots of it. And so since then, that's literally what we've been encountering or experiencing in our home. The smell of Axe deodorant wafting through every single room in our house. And then I found out the other day, not only is he he bathing himself in deodorant, but he's using my cologne to go to school with as well. And so that's where... That's where I had to draw the line, you know. My cologne is a special occasions cologne. It's not a going to LaSalle uh, in the elementary school kind of cologne. <laughs> One of those mornings that he had kind of clothed himself in, uh, in fresh smells, he was, he was in the car with Debs and uh, feeling a little discouraged about school that day. And nothing, it was nothing more than just him being a little tired as kids typically are this time of year, feeling, feeling like the year's been a long year and... Uh, so Debs, as she is just amazing at doing this, kind of chats with him and gives him a pep talk and spends some time praying with him. And as he's about to get out of the car to go into the playground, Deb stops him and, he gra- and, and she grabs him by the hand and she says, Caden, I want you to go to school today armed with authority, with courage, and with confidence. And then Caden says, and armed with deodorant as well. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a humorous story, but it's, and I say it because I find it amazing how, how God is so creative at getting our attention. Because since Debbie told me that story, I've been so personally challenged by a, a scripture that I found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and the scripture goes like this. For we are to God the pleasing aroma or the sweet scent of Jesus, and we spread the exquisite fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus everywhere. And so since I've heard that story, what I've been asking myself is, what do people smell when they are around me? Do they smell the fragrance of Christ in me, the hope of glory? Do they, do they sw- smell the, the, the sweet aroma of, of, the, of the knowledge that God is never gonna leave me nor forsake me? Do they... Do they pick up that, that, that amazing sense of Jesus, knowing that his, his perfect love and his perfect peace and his perfect joy guards my heart and my mind in him? Or sometimes do I allow the, the stench of my own insecurities or struggles or fears or, or hurts or doubts that I might be carrying? Do I allow those things to overwhelm the fragrance of Jesus? And so I want to ask you this morning, what do people smell when they encounter you? Do they smell Jesus? Do they smell the kingdom of God? 
When we started this particular series that we're in out of the book of Matthew, the very first sermon that I preached was a sermon on the, on the grace of God. And I illustrated the grace of God speaking about the story of Jacob and Esau and how Jacob stole Esau's blessing by hiding himself or clothing himself in his older brother. What he did was he dressed up wearing his brother's clothes and went into the presence of his father, went into Isaac's presence, who was blind. And Isaac was fooled into thinking that, that it was his older, older son Esau because of the smell that came from Jacob. Isaac actually says these words, Ah, oh, the smell of my son. That's exactly what our heavenly father says when we come into his presence because he smells the sweet fragrance of Jesus. We, just like Jacob was clothed in his older brother, we are clothed in our older brother, Jesus. The Bible teaches that we are in Christ. And when we come into the presence of the Father, it is Jesus that the Father looks upon. It is Jesus that the Father gazes upon. It is Jesus that the Father smells and declares over us the blessing that should go to Jesus. It comes to us because we are in him. And so the question that we're going to be asking and answering today is, if we smell like Jesus to the Father, do we also smell like Jesus to the world? If we smell like Jesus to the Father, do we also smell like Jesus to the world? Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Perhaps this is your first time at church in the city and you're visiting with us today, maybe invited by a friend and your experience or your exposure to Christianity might be nothing more than thinking Christianity is rules and rituals. This kind of legalistic religion like all the others that demands a certain kind of behavior in order to win the blessing of God. Well, I've got good news for you. We don't like the stench of religion just as much as you. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. And my prayer has been all this week, my prayer for you specifically, if you don't know Jesus here today, my prayer specifically is that you would experience or have the opportunity to encounter the presence of Jesus in such a way that you can see past rules, rituals, and religion, which is not Christianity, and pick up the sense and the blessing of the Father. So what is the fragrance of Jesus and what is the aroma of the kingdom of God. Let's look at Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read the first eight verses together. Jesus called his disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Can I just pause there for a moment and say, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has come near, he's not saying the kingdom of heaven is in the vicinity, like a friend flying in from out of town. They, they're kind of in the air. They, they, they're soon to be landing at O'Hare. No, what he's meaning is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is in the room. The kingdom of heaven is accessible here and now. And then he says in verse eight, heal the sick, 
raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. So we are, just to catch people up, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we are in a series teaching through the first 13 chapters of the book of Matthew. The, the series is called The Good News of God's Kingdom. And the way we are approaching the book of Matthew is, is, is in a way that, that some commentators have suggested the book of Matthew was, was used by the early church. It was used, some say, as a foundations manual for kingdom living. And the way Matthew has laid out the go- his particular gospel lends itself to that kind of approach. Matthew doesn't write his gospel in a linear sequence of events, but rather he groups certain themes together in chunks or sections. Matthew chapter 1 through 4 deal with Jesus' birth and his early life. And during that section, we learned about things like grace and baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 deal with the Sermon on the Mount, this, 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 this upside down, inside out kingdom. Jesus' kingdom manifesto, his description of what the kingdom of God looks like. And then two weeks ago, we had a look at Matthew 8 and 9. It's the kingdom of God in action. It's the kingdom of God with, with, with arms and legs. What does the kingdom look like and, uh, as we begin to live it out? And Matthew 8 and 9 contain this incredible collection of amazing stories, encounters that Jesus had with people releasing the power of God through signs, wonders, and miracles, providing a platform for the gospel to be preached. And the key thing we learned from Matthew 8 to 9 was this, and Jesus exampled this absolutely perfectly. He only ever did what he saw his father doing. He made sure that before he preached the gospel, he was looking, he was listening to the Father, looking for signs of where the Father was at work, so that where he saw the Father work, he could get behind that which the Father was doing. And that's the pattern for our lives, friends. Jesus says that in John chapter 5. He says, he says my Father is always at work, and I only ever do that which I see my Father doing. Beautiful model, beautiful picture of how we are to live. I made a couple of references to my father. So let me just pause there for a moment and just make a quick detour and a little aside. For those of you who were here last Sunday when David preached on the good, good father, were you blessed by last Sunday's message? It was an outstanding, outstanding message. That's kind of a little bit of a trick question because the Bible says we can't be blessed by just hearing the word. The Bible says we are only blessed when you put the word into action. And so I want to say, if you were here last week or if you weren't, if you weren't here, listen to the podcast from last Sunday when David spoke about the good, good father. But for all of us, I want to say, let's make sure we put this truth into action. What I've started to do this week is, is read through the book of John and to start to look for those signs of, of where Jesus speaks about his father. And what does that teach us about God, our good, good father? So Jesus has called his disciples. He says, come follow me. He's taught them about the kingdom in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And now he's saying to them, now guys, Matthew 10, now it's, it's time for you to go and put this into practice. I've shown you how to do it. It's time for you to go and, 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 and put into practice what I've just taught you. Jesus has shown the disciples what it looks like for the kingdom of God to be in full living color. And now begins, Matthew 10, now begins the, the apprenticeship or the internship of these disciples. 
Now, Matthew doesn't include this in his gospel, but essentially what Jesus is saying to his disciples is this. He says, he's saying, listen, guys. He doesn't say it like that, but just imagine he says like this. Listen, guys, a time is gonna come where I need to leave. A time is gonna come where, where I need to go. I'm not going yet, so there's still an opportunity for us to learn and to, and, and, and to follow my example. But when I go, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm going to leave you one just like me, the Holy Spirit. It's actually going to be better that I go. Because you will be able to do not just the works that I've done, but even greater works. And so Matthew 10 describes the apprenticeship or the internship of these disciples. And we're going to run through the first eight verses together. Now, I'm going to run through this fairly quickly for two reasons. Number one, these are things that we have pretty much consistently been teaching for the last two years. And so what I want to do is just make a couple of comments as we, as we work our way through those eight verses or nine verses. And the second thing I want to say is, is Matthew chapter 10 is very much a summary of what Jesus has taught his disciples so far. So again, these themes should be very familiar and, and, and very similar to what you've already heard. First thing I want to say is the kingdom of God starts with a call. Look at verse 1. It starts with a call. Verse 1 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. Notice it's not a call to go just yet. That'll come, but the call first off is a call for Jesus to say to his disciples, come to me. You see, before we can busy ourselves with doing things for God, we need to understand that before that, God calls us to be with him. Intimacy with Jesus must always supersede action for Jesus. There is a commission that's going to come, but first off, Jesus says, come, come to me, come and let me spend, and spend time in my presence, come and build relationship with me. I want you to take a moment and think about your favorite Hollywood battle or war scene. Think for a moment about, about an epic movie where, where one kingdom is overthrown by the good guys. So, so there's, a, there's a ton of movies you can think about. A big battle scene where the, where the, where the bad guys are about to be overthrown. And the, the standard thing with, with, with Hollywood war scenes or battle scenes is there's always the cliched pre-battle speech given by the guy in charge. The other day I was at the movies and I saw a preview for Independence Day 2. So the second Independence Day. Remember that movie where aliens are invading Earth? So in, in, in light of that, here's an example of a typical cliched Hollywood battle scene quote, uh, quote. Bill Pullman, who is the president in Independence Day, stands up before this kind of ragtag group of United Nation fighters with aliens kind of bearing down from the heavens. And he says this, the 4th of July will no longer be called an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, and he tries to get into Winston Churchill's kind of persona, we will no longer go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. And all the, the fighters rise up and yeah, they cheer and they, they end up defeating the aliens. Think about Braveheart. 
You know that great movie scene, Braveheart, where, where that kind of, again, another ragtag bunch of, of, of Scottish fighters and the, and the, the, the proud English are, are fighting against them. And, and there's, um, there's the Australian-American Mel Gibson on his, on his horse doing his best Scottish accent. And Jackie, quote, uh, Jackie sitting right there is, is Scottish-Australian and lives here in America. So I should actually be getting you to come up and, and do this. But... That scene where Mel Gibson is, is on the back of his horse and he's, he's riding up and down and, and he says this, he says, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Is that good, Jackie? <laughs> Think about those battle speeches, those cliched battle speeches. Before Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God here on earth to overthrow the kingdom of darkness, He gave a battle speech too, and it went like this. Come, follow me. That's it. Come, follow me. That's where the power of God resides, in us following closely the person of Jesus Christ. The call of God, it starts with a call. Secondly, following the call is a commission. Look at verse one. And then he gave them authority. Some translations say he gave them power and authority to drive out impure impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And verse five, it says he sent them out. And verse seven, he says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come uh, near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, uh, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. So following the call, the, the, the call to intimacy, he then commissions his disciples. He releases his disciples to go. When I read verse five and it says he sent them out, I always think of, of two passages of scripture that to me so powerfully illustrate how we are sent. John chapter 20 is the first one where Jesus says, just as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Think about that. The father, the, the, the father of the universe, the, the, the one who has spoken everything into being th- th- uh, through a word, sent his son, Jesus, into a, into a time in history and into a place. Jesus was sent into a village in the Middle East to, to understand what it means to be part of a community, to live in family, to, to face the struggles of being in a poor family, to hold down a job, to face the reality of being single in a culture that, 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 that elevated marriage. To learn how to advance the kingdom of God in the midst of, of the Jewish culture, which, which has distorted the view of God, or the Roman culture, which has totally dismissed the view of God. And Jesus, into that setting, the Father sends him with the full backing and resources of heaven. And the Bible says, in the same way that the Father sends us, Jesus, sorry, the same way that the Father sends Jesus, Jesus sends us. You and I, every single day, friends, going into a culture that either distorts or dismisses God, facing the realities of paying bills and and, and having a shortage of money, struggling with relationships at times, either married or single. And the point is this, friends, we need to learn to find kingdom significance in the daily activities of life. Because why? We have the full resources of heaven behind us. We are not doing it on on our own. Just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. But my favorite 
sending verse or my favorite sending passage is the one where God, where Moses encounters the presence of God in Exodus chapter three. I'm sure most of you are very familiar with that passage, but, but, but uh, 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 God says to Moses, Moses, I am, I'm sending you to go, and, to go and rescue my people, to go and call my people out of captivity and to bring them out. And Moses responds exactly like you and I respond to something like that. Who am I, Moses says. Who am I that you would give this responsibility to me? And God's response is this. He says, Moses, I am with you. Moses, I am with you. Subtext, it doesn't actually say this in the NIV, but if I was writing the NIV, I'd have a little asterisk and subtext that would say this. Moses, do you really think that I'm asking you to go because of something that you can bring to the equation? That's essentially what God is saying in that particular moment. He's saying, listen, Moses, it doesn't matter who you are because I am with you. I am with you. When you go, I will be with you. So then Moses tries something else. Having answered the question, who am I? He says, all right, then tell me, who are you? Who are you that, that you are able to send me? And God says that famous passage, I am who I am. I am absolute resourcefulness and I'm unlimited capability is what God is saying. Basically, anything and everything you will ever need is found in me. In the New Testament language, he's saying, I am the name that is above every name. And just as the great I am sends Moses, the great I am Jesus sends us. But what the New Testament does so beautifully is that Jesus adds further descriptions to the name I am. I am the bread of life. That's the one who sends you when you are going to a friend who is hungry for truth. I am the resurrection and the life. That's the one who sends you when you're going to pray for somebody who's sick. I am the light of the world. That's who's sending you when you have a family member who is caught up in demonic depression and darkness. I am the good shepherd. When your friend or family member is lost, and they're needing direction. The one who sends you is the one who resources you to share the life of God. The call of God comes with a commission. Thirdly, it's outworked in community. Look at verse two. These are the names of the 12 apostles. And then Jesus, uh, and then Matthew lists the 12 apostles that were chosen by Jesus and called by Jesus. And if you have a look at that particular passage, it's fascinating if you do a study on who these disciples were. But there were, there were two sets of brothers. How many of you know how, how brothers and sisters squabble so much? Yeah, I see that hand. <laughs> So many brothers and sisters squabble. In this group of 12 are two sets of, of business entrepreneurs comp- competing fishing, fishing enterprises. They were going against each other and Jesus calls them together. And in that midst is Matthew the tax collector who is, who is, who is uh, uh, skimming off taxes from these fishing enterprises to line his own pockets. And Jesus calls them all together. Now, this is what I think Jesus was saying. Listen, guys, before we're going to change the world, before we're going to make any difference out there, before we think that we can ever hope to change the world by the kingdom of God, we've got to figure out how the kingdom of God works in here. 
with people that we don't necessarily like or people that we don't necessarily understand or people that have stabbed us in the back or people that have spoken badly about us. We're gonna figure out how to love one another, how to honor one another, how to care for one another, how to respect one another, how to learn from one another, how to release blessing and favor over each other. Because as the Bible teaches, I think it's in, uh, in, in John chapter 13, our love for one another will prove to the world that we are Jesus' disciples. Friends, this notion that, that it's me and Jesus and no one else, let me tell you, is not from God. It's me and Jesus knitted into a community where there are accountable friendships and relationships for the edges on our lives to be rubbed off. There is the call, there is a commission, it's outworked in community, and then lastly, it comes with a cost. Look at verse 8. Freely give. Freely give. How? How do we do that? How do we freely give? Well, we can freely give because why? We have freely received every single thing that you and I have, every single uh, cent or dollar that we have earned, every single gift that we have, every single dream or desire that we hold on to, every single possession that that we own, Every single relationship that we have, friends, is freely being given to you by your Father in heaven. And that's why we can open our hands with it and freely give. We can never outgive God. We can never outgive God because He's given it all to us in the first place. Having said all that, I don't think that's specifically what Jesus is referring to in this case. I don't think he's talking about money, although he could have been, or possessions, or gifts, or whatever. I think he's talking about the life of God. He's talking about the power of God. He's talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The context is is signs, wonders, healing, miracles. Freely give because you freely received the power of God. Freely give because you freely received the anointing, which is the supernatural enabling that comes by the Holy Spirit to do the work that the Lord has called you to do. And I think that the best example of the, of the anointing for me is found in Acts chapter 10. The scripture will come up behind you. Peter is, t- is talking at Cornelius' house and he, he, and he describes the anointing. He says how, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Let me say, friends, before we carry on, it is God who anoints. We lay hands on each other, but I have no authority or power to anoint anybody. I can be used by God as a conduit for him to anoint somebody that I lay hands on. But it is God who releases his anointing over us. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how Jesus went around doing good. We don't just get anointed to feel good. We get anointed to do good. God pours out his spirit on us so that we can enjoy the goodness and the, and, 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 and the graciousness of God, but so that we can take that goodness and graciousness and do good things with it. With the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, setting God's people free because God was with him. Friends, the anointing is evidence that God is with us. We don't need to tell people that God is with us if we have the anointing upon us because they will see it. There will be evidence that God is with us. So friends, the anointing has a fragrance. 
The anointing has a smell. The anointing has, a, has an aroma. The aroma of the anointing of God is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The anointing, the, 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 the fragrance of, of the anointing is, is signs, wonders, and miracles. The fragrance of the anointing is doing good works under the power of God. The fragrance of the anointing is the closeness and nearness and presence of God. That's what the anointing smells like. That's what Jesus smells like. That's what the kingdom of God smells like. As we bring this into land, I want to refer into Exodus 30. The screen, the screen will have it behind me. But one of my, I think, the best passage which describes what the anointing is, and it might seem like an obscure passage, but follow along with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, so the quick context. So, so, so Moses is being instructed by the Lord to, to prepare what is called the fragrant anointing oil, which is, which is a, a, approximately five gallons of, of very viscous, syrupy, sticky, thick, strong smelling uh, uh, perfume. Don't think Chanel 5. Don't think, uh, don't think some high kind of eau de cologne or whatever. This is very, think maple syrup consistency and think incredibly, incredibly fragrant. Verse 22 of Exodus 30, then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels for those who are not good at math, of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel and a hen of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. Now we know that the the Old Testament always points to the perfection of the new. And so, so picture this, picture this, this five-gallon vat of, of strong, viscous, syrupy, uh, very pungent, fragrant anointing oil. And what, what this anointing oil was used for was anything or anyone stepping into the, into the call of God needed to be anointed by this anointing oil. But not just, as we think, taking a little drop on the tip of our finger and kind of painting a little cross on our forehead. No, that's not how they did it in the Old Testament. They would take this entire five-gallon vat and the person would stand there and they would pour this, this syrupy, sticky, liquid smelling, fragrant stuff all over them and it would drip down their head, drip down their beard down their robes, that's what Psalm 133 is getting at Psalm 133 how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together it is like, picture that scene of the anointing oil, it is like Precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. If that's what it is like in the Old Testament, friends, how much more is it in the new? The anointing of God, the fragrance of God, the the, the presence of God sticky enough to cling to me wherever I go. I was debating whether to do this, but I think I'm going to. I I think some of you need a a proper visual as to what this looks like. So I've asked Chris to help me with a little illustration. I want you to imagine, Chris, if you could just stand right here on the, no, I'm just kidding. I want you to imagine this, now it's not five gallons, it's probably half a gallon. 
I'm not brave enough for five gallons. But imagine this being that five gallons of, of sticky, fragrant, anointing oil. And imagine that I'm just about to be, to be set apart, just as each of us are set apart for the, for the service unto the Lord. Well, this is what would happen in the, New, in the Old Testament. And I want you to get a picture of it, of how the anointing of God comes upon us. So he has the point. He has the point. Look at me. Wherever I go, if I, if I were to hug Chris right now, what would I leave behind? I'd leave this, this sticky, uh, fragrant smell of Jesus all over him. When I go to drop off my kids at school and I encounter one of the teachers and I gently touch, touch them on the shoulder to say goodbye, what am I leaving behind? I'm leaving something of the fragrance of Jesus wherever I go. I walk through the streets and there are drops of Jesus all over the place because why? I'm anointed with the fragrance and the smell of Jesus. And so he has the point. He has the point that I want to make today. He has the, the one truth I want you to go home with today. Just like Debbie told Caden, I am telling you, tomorrow, go into the day armed with authority, armed with courage, armed with confidence, and armed with deodorant, which is the anointing and fragrance of of Jesus. The Bible tells us that we smell like Jesus to the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Jesus. But do we smell like Jesus to the world? The Bible says we spread the exquisite fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Before I hand over to Chris, I want to give you all a challenge. This is something that I try and do every single morning. When I climb in the shower every single morning, I imagine, I close my eyes for a second, and I imagine that the shower head that is pouring water over me is the fragrant anointing oil of Jesus. And I stand in the shower and I say, Father, would you anoint me for the day? Would you let your anointing oil just fill my thoughts? Would you let your anointing oil fall upon my eyes so that I would look and see what only you see? Would you let your anointing oil touch my lips so that the words that I speak would honor and glorify you? Father, would you let your anointing oil fall upon my arms and upon my legs so that I can take your presence into the world? Father, would you let your anointing oil fill my heart so that my emotions are submitted completely to you? I want to challenge you tomorrow, or tonight, if you shower tonight, but tomorrow, I hope you'll shower at least tomorrow, at least shower tomorrow. <laughs> Otherwise, people will not be smelling Jesus, they'll be smelling something else. If you can, when you climb in the shower tomorrow, think about this illustration. When you climb in the shower on Tuesday morning, ask God for his anointing to come upon us. Can I ask, just as we close, just for you to close your eyes right now, I'm going to hand over to Chris in a minute. Father, we just come before you right now. And we ask, Lord, for just a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon us. Father, that you would fill us. Father, that you would clothe us with power from on high.
We want to be those that carry your fragrance into our city. We want to be those that carry the, the smell of Jesus everywhere we go. Father, we pray for the business team that are going out tomorrow. But not only just for them, because all of us are leaving tomorrow from our homes to go and encounter the world. May we go with the, with the, with the presence of Jesus upon us. We ask that right now, Lord. Fill us with your presence. Can you just stay in that place just to receive for a moment longer? Come, Holy Spirit. Those who are struggling with anxious thoughts, I pray the anointing of God right now would break that yoke in Jesus' name. Some who are struggling with insomnia, in Jesus' name, be broken. Be broken. Be gone. Anxiety and fear of sleepless nights be gone by the anointing of God in Jesus' name. We trust for a release of your healing now, Lord God. Backs to come into line. Organs to be healed. Viruses to be gone in Jesus' name. We ask for your power upon us, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us. Holy Spirit, fill us with your fragrant presence. May the world smell Jesus upon us, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. You can always check out more messages at churchinthecity.us or on iTunes.